All right, so if you got your Bible, we're going to be in Isaiah 2. Isaiah 2. I've got some notes for this that are supposed to be on the screen. We'll see if that happens or not. They may or may not. May not cooperate. Um, Typically, starting in December, we start with um, Advent. We, We do it in the past. We've done a study of Advent for the entire month of uh, December, and Advent is a Latin, or or is formed from a Latin word, which means coming or arrival. So even though we're not doing an official Advent uh, study this year, uh, per se, we're still going to be teaching and preaching and and meditating on as families this idea of the coming or the arrival. And of course, traditionally, Christmas is the arrival of Jesus uh, in his first coming. As, as a babe in the manger. And so uh, I, I, we, we had a really good service Wednesday night, and I wanted to start off by saying something uh, that's based off of 1 Peter that we studied last, uh, last Advent. And what's interesting about Peter, this, this is something that just kind of adds a little bit more to the story, just a little bit more. So when Jesus is calling his first disciples, um, Kevin Hembry, who taught on Wednesday night, did a fantastic job, and there's a lot of you guys here, and uh, you heard him teach this. But uh, we see that Andrew brings Peter to Jesus for the first time, and this is the first time they meet. And this is what it says in John 1.42. He brought him to Jesus, speaking of uh, Peter. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas which means Peter. And, and the whole point of what we talked about and what Kevin taught is that Jesus saw Simon, Peter, he saw him for what he was. But he also saw him what he, for what he was going to be. And, that's, and, he, and Jesus sees the same thing when he looks at you and me. He sees what we are in our sinfulness and our fallenness, but then he sees who he's going to make us and, and what he's going to bring out of us as we grow in him and so that was really neat and so taking that we see we fast forward to Peter and this is after Jesus has ascended back into heaven this is written in first Peter 1 verses 8 through 13 this is Peter writing this it says this though you have not seen him you loved him speaking of Jesus though you do not now see him you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory obtaining the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls concerning this salvation the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be your yours searched with uh, searched and inquired carefully inquiring what person or time the spirit of christ uh, in them was indicating when he predicted the suffering of christ and the subs, uh, subsequent, subsequent glory sorry it, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels looked long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, that's important, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So that's, That's the Peter that Jesus saw. Is this guy telling the good news, the gospel of Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has has come to help us, to grow us in in our salvation 
and in our security in Christ. So knowing that, we know that the, the king came as a baby, but we also know that the king is coming. Jesus Christ has come, and he's going to come again. And this hope of the church uh, who was purchased with his, with his blood, that's, that's our hope. Jesus is coming, and we are to eager, eagerly expect this and desire it as his people. And it is our joy because he has treasured us. And, and so this, this season is a time of remembering and rejoicing, watching and waiting. And the main, one of the main takeaways I want for us today is that we don't rush through these days to Christmas. We don't rush through this season. Um, for many of us, this may be our, our first time considering all that God is saying through the birth of his son. Maybe you weren't saved last Christmas. Maybe this is your first Christ, uh, Christmas as a, as a Christian. For others, it's an opportunity to rediscover the way God uh, intimately works in the details of, of his life, of our lives, uh, for his glory. And for all of us, uh, this should be a season of hope and, and expectation, remembrance, and worship. And uh, so I want you to keep that in the forefront of your mind, right? The king has come and is coming. There is much to celebrate. This is a good, this is a good message. I'm, I'm not going to get down in the dirt and, and make you feel bad. I promise I try not to. <laughs> with that said, with that said, it's been an interesting year, hasn't it? It's been a real interesting year. I found this ornament, uh, and I thought it was pretty funny. That's, that's what the kids, you know, talk about dumpster fires. It's a funny meme, and they made it into an ornament. I think it's hilarious. So it's been a, it's been a crazy year. I've never seen an ornament like this for any other year in my life because uh, so much is going on in not just the U.S., but all over the world. We've been in a global pandemic since March. Uh, there is political unrest, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. Um, I'm 30, right at 38 years old, and I, I can't remember any other year that has been this way for this long. And uh, I don't know about you, but it's, it's caused unrest. If I'm being honest, it's caused unrest in my life. And I have been thinking more and more about eternity. I've been thinking more and more about eternity. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I think, I think that's something that's happening all over the world. I, believe, uh, I truly believe that there is the stirring of eternity that causes people all over the world to need to celebrate something right now. So what I thought we could do is remind ourselves of the story and then in, uh, a remembrance of the story, be encouraged to think differently about these next three or four weeks. And um, interestingly enough, uh, throughout this week, I, I, I talk with a lot of people, but I had some pretty good talks specifically with uh, one with my dad and, and one or several with Whitney and, and the kids. And each one of them, I really believe the Lord was uh, pushing on me and, and kind of pointing me as to what I needed to say and, and talk with you guys about this morning. Because if I... I'll tell you this, I, I, might, I'm, I don't think I'm alone in this either, but throughout the week I have this habit <laughs> of opening up my Twitter feed or Facebook or different websites and reading articles throughout the day. I read articles throughout the day. I read political stuff, scientific stuff, uh, sports stuff, tech reviews, business things, uh, and 
I think I've talked to Isaac, maybe a couple more of you about this, but I, I find what I'm wanting to do, my goal is, I just want to know the truth, right? I just want to know the truth. I want to know the truth about coronavirus. I don't want to know what this side or that side says. I want to know the truth. I, don't, I want to know the truth about the election. Who's our next president going to be? I want to know. I want to know why Tennessee can't figure out how to win a football game. I want to know the truth. And so I, I read these things, and after having talks with my family, it becomes clear to me that it's a fool's errand to look for truth in the written words of men and women. While, while I believe there's several good things to be read in, in books, good books, solid books, solid articles, I know, I know that I have access to God's written word and that it is 100% true 100% of the time. And I say I want to know the truth, and here it is. It's right here. It was right here the whole time. So we have to see God's word for what it is. We have to see God's word for what, is, what it is. And what is it? It's the greatest story ever told. It's the greatest story ever told because it is the truest story ever told. It is also the most redemptive story ever told. It is, it is something that no other book, no other writings can even come close to because it is God's word and God's word alone. And it is 100% true. So we're going to be in Isaiah 2 today. If you have your Bible, I encourage you to turn there. Um, it's uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, so we're going to be looking at the kind of the first part of Isaiah 2. And we're going to do a little bit of run-up uh, to, this, to this text, a little bit of uh, background. And it, it, it's pretty simple, and it's, it's pretty quick. So God created the world in such a way that when he, when he saw it, 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 what he said is that uh, early on, before sin entered, right? Men and women were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. Now, naked and unashamed has very little to do with nudity and everything to do with the... It's got everything to do with the state of the human heart and very little to do with not having the clothes on. God designed us. He, he made us uh, that we would never want to hide and, and we, we even lacked this capacity to experience shame. Think what that was like. Think what that was like to never have to feel shame. People feel shame today even if they've done nothing wrong. Shame is a violent, viral disease that rots out the souls of men and women. God designed us to be naked and unashamed. And then what happens? Sin enters the world. And it fractures it. It fractures the world. And naked and unashamed turns into fully clothed with layers and full of shame. This chaos, this brokenness begins to seep into the, uh, the minds of mankind. It, it begins to seep into our relationships between our friends and our spouses and our children, between people and God. And you have this train wreck of reality, and yet into this train wreck, God promises to begin anew, to go out as a refrain that... Uh, there's going to be this day coming when all things will be made new, where broken, brokenness will be made whole. There's going to be a day when the family is going to come together. There's going to be a day when relationships are fully restored and reconciled. Diseases, 
All diseases will be cured. This day is coming. These, these promises begin to echo through mankind. And unknowingly, many, uh, to many people, this echo that's come down through the ages, they, they don't know what to do with it. They don't know. There's this hope, but what is it? The only way that it makes sense is, is, is if our lives are lined up with Jesus Christ. So, starting in Isaiah 2, uh, I'm going to read uh, verses 1 through 5 here, and, and then we're going to uh, break that down a little bit and, and move on. It says this in Isaiah 2, 1 through 5, The word that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go forth to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Uh, nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So, a little bit of, a little bit of history, a little bit more of this. Isaiah... It's a pretty tough book. There's, there's a lot of judgments and uh, pronouncements of judgments. And, and here we find, in the middle of this, we find this small glimmer of hope. And it, it, it just kind of erupts out of this darkness. And you get to see these promises that God is making through the prophet Isaiah. Some of it we're going to need to put into context. So the first thing you see here, specifically in verse 2, is he talking... Uh, is he's talking about the elevation of the house of the Lord as opposed to where it currently set. And so, let me explain that a little bit. Jerusalem was not at the highest point in that region uh, of, of, this, of this part of the world. Um, the Mount of Olives was much uh, higher, and it was to the east than Jerusalem. And so, during these times, and in, in, in most of the Old Testament, um, the higher the mountain, the closer to heaven you were, the, the, the more powerful your God was. Uh, this is why if you read in the Old Testament, uh, when people repent, they would go to the top of these mountains because at the top of these mountains were where the idols were built. And so they would go tear down these idols that were all put at the top of the mountain. And, and so the higher you got, the closer you got to heaven. Just think about the Tower of Babel. The whole point of the Tower of uh, Babel was to build that structure up to get as close to God as possible. So he's saying to the people of Israel and Judah, to the people of God, uh, God is going to do something. Here, here we see God is going to do something. He's going to do something huge. And when he does it, it's going to reorientate the elevation of glory. He's fixing to change something big time. It's going to reorientate the human understanding of what is most glorious, what is most true, what is most beautiful. In, in this day, you see the people of God, they were, they were basic. Uh, they're, they're, they weren't uh, much more uh, 
than trusting in their own abilities and their own goodness. They, they weren't really looking for the glory of God. And, and you may ask, you know, how I know that. If you go on down to verse 7, it says this. The land is filled with silver and gold, and there is no end to their treasures. The land is filled with horses, and there is no end to their chariots. The land is filled with idols. They bow down to the works of their, to their, of their own hands, to their own fingers, to what their own fingers have made. So do you see the accusation there? Um, mankind, his own people, this is God's people, chosen people, they're worshiping and, and they're ascribing to the glory of the work of their own hands rather to, than to where glory is due, right? Glory is only due to God, the creator of all things. So the prophet Isaiah is speaking the word of God to these people uh, that God is going to do something that's going to violently, violently change what's going on in their lives, what's going on in their society. If you think about how mountains move and how you would lower one and elevate another one, that's going to be a pretty violent shift. Things are going to change. Man's perspective on what is true and what is false uh, is going to be made true in the Messiah. So we need to understand that there are false stories that we're prone to giving ourselves over to, to believing in. And if we think about the light of what we're reading in this text about the mountain and of the house of the Lord being elevated above all other, that there's going to be this event that reorientates the people of earth. That's what's going to happen in the coming of Jesus. He's going to expose all other stories to be false. So at the coming of Jesus, we, don't, we see that the getting of more stuff is incompatible, incompatible with a satisfied soul. Jesus exposes that. He, he exposes that nothing on this earth can fulfill the need and the wants of your life. Only he can do that. He comes and brings teaching and life, and he's the embodiment of the fulfill, uh, fulfillment of the law. He reveals, to us that more, uh, that he reveals to us that more stuff will not fix what's broken in us and that the story of secularism is false, that the story of na uh, nationalism is false, the story of individualism is false. All of that is false. Only he is true. So the pinnacle of God, God's glory explodes out of the earth in the coming of the Son of God. And here's what the prophet Isaiah is talking about. There's going to be this mountain, and it's going to make all other mountains look tiny. Then from there, in this uh, reordering of glory, you see this fascinating, fascinating thing happen. Look back at verse 3. Verse 3. It says this, And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his, uh, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his path. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So here's, here's what we have happening. If we could just follow this, this line of Isaiah's thought. So this, this pinnacle is elevated, elevated above mankind in, in, that, in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when everybody sees it, these people groups of earth are going to see it and the beauty of it and see 
all of their other stories have been revealed as false. And they're going to want to know what's going on in Zion. They're going to want to come towards Zion and say, like the te- text says, what's going on here? What, uh, what is happening? We want to come. We want to learn. We want to hear. We want to submit. This goes back to the missional heart of God for the ends of the earth, right? This is why we are not a country club. That's why God has commanded us to go to where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is his plan. We have been called to him and we've been sent out. And it's in this text that celebrates the coming of Jesus as a future event. So Jesus comes. How do we know that? Because he's talking about how the law shapes us and as the people of God. Let's talk for a second about what's distinctively dis, uh, different about us as Christians than the rest of the world. This is, there's many things that do this, but these are two primary things um, that can look either offensive or they can be, look beautiful to the world. And so let's just look at them for a second. The, they are this, the way Christians view money and the way Christians view power have always throughout human history since the birth of the people of God stood in contrast to what the way to the way the world works and the way the world sees these things. So real quick, when it comes to money, you know the text uh, it says this, God loves a cheerful giver. And and Dave is now our certified graduate expert in Greek. <laughs> but the word uh, here uh, I'm going to try is hilaros. And it's where we get our word hilarious. So in this picture, when you read that God loves a cheerful giver, it's almost this picture of this madman giving away. And so God loves that heart. God loves that heart that this is all his. Everything I have is his, and I'm going to give it all to him. So as Christians, we don't, we don't just build bigger barns and bigger barns, and we don't stockpile wealth in case we live to 120. We, we, uh, we give away generously. We do that here as, as individuals and, and as a church as a whole. We want to give it away because it is all his. Second thing is we see our power differently. We see our power has been given to us by God to serve others. That's different than the world, if you haven't noticed. We've been given power by God to serve others, not to further exalt ourselves. So here's kind of what God's economy looks like. And this is what makes us as Christians a little weird. Oh, you're super gifted? You, you, you've got a lot of gifts? Oh, that's great. Then uh, take the last parking space out there in the parking lot. Oh, you're really godly? That's great. Good, good to hear. You get to go last in the food line. <laughs> that's what you get, oh man of God, oh woman of God. So that makes us an odd people in a world that's saying, me first, me first, me first, we're to say, I'm last. We're, we're to be humble and, and set apart. So in this text, um, well, let me say this. So when people see this, when people see this in your life, in my life, and I pray to God, you know, we, we grow in these things. But when people see it, they either say, that's amazing or that's repulsive. They either say, yeah, I, I think that's, that's, something, that's something special. 
or they think, no, that ain't, that ain't for me at all. You see, that's, that's something that as I've grown as a, as a believer and, I, and I've heard many sermons by many pastors, um, it's, it's very interesting to take it into consideration that when people truly meet Jesus, it's those two responses. You can't half-heartedly do anything when you come face-to-face with Jesus Christ. You are truly either repulsed or you're, or you're on board. You, either you fully submit or you go the other way. You can't just have a, yeah, you're all right. I guess I'll follow you for a little bit, I guess. That's not how it works. So this, that's what's going on here. Uh, God, uh, through Isaiah, he's talking to his people and he's talking about the people of the earth are going to see this. What is going on in Zion? And let me tell you, you are the peoples that he's talking about here. You are the peoples at the top of verse 3. And many people shall come and say, come let us go to the mountain of the Lord. That's you and me. You see, we're not the people that this was originally written to. We're not the Judeans. We're, we're not from this little part of the world that's receiving this message from Isaiah. This is, this is pre-Rome time. Uh, this is not exactly written to you and me, but it is written about us. You see, we are the people who saw the pinnacle of God's glory. We've seen Jesus come. We've seen what the disciples did in the growth of the church up until now. So someone walked the path of God's grace according to the word of God, and we saw it. You saw it, or I saw it, and something was attractive about it, and we stepped into this grace of God. We don't have to wonder if it's true, because here we are. 2,000 years later, um, after Jesus was... uh, hung on the cross and buried and rose again. Here we are in Crossville, Tennessee. There's no reason to be here if it's not true, if it's not life-changing news. And, and so I don't have to wonder what Isaiah is saying here if it's true because we're here. So let's, uh, the question becomes, what's the path going to bring? What's the path going to bring? And the answer is peace. If we look at verse 4, it says this, He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people and then they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall we learn war anymore. And here's where I think it, it gets a little bit cloudy because we need to do a little bit more work. He's saying that the Messiah is coming, the mountain of the Lord, the glory of God will be seen as the apex and other stories will be seen as false and the people of the earth are going to be drawn to Zion. They're going to say, what's going on in Zion? Then he says the Messiah is going to rule and reign in such a way that there's no more war, there's no more violence, and there's no more death. In fact, people won't even train for war. That's what it says here. He sends out this promise that all the energy and all the efforts and all the sweat and all the money and all the steel that goes towards making war will be given over to cultivating life. So in 2020, I can look at this first part and say, okay, There's this apex of Christ coming, the glory of God. We have the law and Christ as the embodiment of the law showing us the way of life, what it looks like to be spirit-filled men and women in our day and age, what it looks like to walk in obedience to the Father through the power of the Spirit. And I've seen the people of the earth come to hear this. You've seen it. All over the world today, in Europe, 
in Africa, in Asia, in South America, all over the world, people are meeting today doing this very thing. Because of, of the restriction on travel, we've been able to go on these mission trips. Typically, as a church, we go on at least three mission trips a year. And we've not been able to do that. But what we have been able to do is pray. We've been able to pray for these men and women that we know that are on the front lines in these other countries. We've been able to send funds to our brothers and sisters all over the world doing this work and being God's hands and feet to their very own communities. We just, a couple weeks ago, got to send over 200 Christmas boxes that carry the message of the gospel in them to children that are going to be dispersed all over the world. We always want to actively follow Jesus. You see, the Spirit of God is doing soul-stirring, soul-saving, gospel power in these places and, 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 the, and in these churches, and we want to be a part of it. We want to be a part of it. And so then we, we read this, I, and I think we're not quite here yet. It seems that we're, we're doing pretty well in training for war and going to war. And not just us, it seems like this all over the world. So... What do we do when it looks like the messianic prophecy overpromises and underdelivers? What do we do? What happens here? And you, you're looking around. You're not looking around and saying, "Yeah, Isaiah nailed it." There are no tanks, no predator drones, no missiles. All that stuff's been turned into guarding equipment. No, you're not. You're not doing that. It's just not where we're at right now. So, what are we going to do with this? And here's the takeaway for today. We've talked about this before. We're in this special period. And, and it's, a lot of people call it the space between. I like the term, the already but the not yet. You see, you and I are in this, this period where we can see that Jesus has come. But Jesus has not come the second time. The things Isaiah has said are coming in Jesus. You and I have experienced some of the alreadiness of this, of what Christ has done for us. And, and I know that because we're here. We're here. Even this week, uh, this has already been made clear to us. I mean, we got to meet uh, Wednesday night. And in, in one of the testimonies we heard, we heard a testimony from uh, uh, Rob Green about how God took him out of a life of drugs and on a dead-end road and transformed him into a new creation. You have you, your story. I have my story. We know these things are happening. We are a people who have experienced this part of the text. We've experienced it. And uh, we saw in the Gospels of Jesus Christ the apex of God's glory that shone so bright it put a shadow on all of the other pursuits we have in life. But we're not perfect. We're in process but we've seen it. We're, we're walking, we're growing, and peace is being established slowly but surely. There, so that leads us to this time that's the not yet. In the same way that this week has been filled with all readiness, it's, always, it's also been filled with not yet. People are still getting sick. People are still dying. Uh, the world is still broken. We still have 
uncertainty and unrest politically. We still live in a very broken world. So the, this tension that you and I are living in, all of the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus. And, and you and I, walking in light, walking in life, full of the Holy Spirit, are being ushered into His goodness and grace, but we still find ourselves in the space between. And, and here's one of my favorite things on the not yet. This is what the Apostle Paul says. He says this in Philippians three twelve through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do for, for uh, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if, any, uh, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So what's interesting about this, you know Paul's a preacher because he says this one thing and then he preaches about four things. Uh, he, he says about this one thing I do forgetting... Uh, but this one thing I do, and then he says, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on, uh, and, and then uh, we are to think maturely. So I think emotionally, you and I, we've experienced this when it comes to our relationship with the Lord. It's that idea of, I've, I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. I've done that, but I'm still chasing it. But I already possess it. Oh, do you feel that way? That, that you have this already, but not yet. Christ has given birth to peace, and yet I'm hungry for more peace. God has saved my soul, yet I am longing in me for what more of what I already possess. And maybe that's too much. Uh, but it is, it is what it is. It is how we think. And God knows that. He knows our inner struggles. And he says, I begin a good work in you, and I, and I am destined to complete it. It's not dependent upon you and me. Praise the Lord for that. It's dependent upon him. So how are we to live? Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. So Revelations 21, 3 through 6. Uh, this is a great, great scripture. Um, definitely worth memorizing or writing on a wall in your house or on the mirror says this, Revelations 21, 3 through 6. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And it says also he wrote, he said, write this down. Write this down. What's, what's really interesting is about this is if you, if you just stop and think about it for a second. John, he's, he's telling this to John. And you have to wonder about the look on John's face as he's be t being told this by the Lord. Almost everybody he knows, everybody he knows has been killed or put in prison. The church is in a very 
fragile state. John himself had been boiled alive, and it didn't, it didn't kill him. Uh, it freaked them out when they tried to boil him alive, and he didn't die, so they put him on this island. They exiled him to Patmos. So here Jesus is showing up and going, there's not going to be any more pain. Nobody's going to die. There's, there are going to be no more tears. There, there's going to be no more suffering at all. Write that down. It says write that down. These words are true. You're going to uh, need to write this down. There's, there's, there's going to be somebody that's going to question this. That, but no, I'm telling you right now, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. This is Jesus going on. It says, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give the springs of water of life without payment. So what does it look like to live in the space between? Well, Isaiah, uh, when, he's, when he's done unpacking all these ideas, he says this in verse 5. He says this, O house of Jacob, O people of God, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. Someday uh, soon the skies are going to open up. And someday soon Jesus is going to return. Not as a baby in a manger, but as a reigning, supreme, sovereign king of everything forevermore. So what's happened? Uh, Because we're here 2,000 years later after the events of Christ's life, we've, we've drifted to sleep. This is why even in Jesus' teaching, he reminds us, hey, stay awake, stay awake. You need to stay awake. Don't be like those virgins who, were, uh, who weren't prepared. You don't need to be like the group that wasn't prepared for the coming of the king. No, you need to be awake. You need to be alert. You need to be walking in the light because at any moment, any moment, Jesus could tear open the sky and come back. So as a Christian, know that our hope isn't in uh, politics or nationalism, uh, or a vaccine, or the next coach of your favorite football team. Our hope is in the reigning king of glory. He has revealed that all other stories are false. We want to come to him and to start to walk in the light. So here we are, 2020, in the already but not yet, waiting for the second coming, longing for the second coming, wanting for the second coming, coming. I don't know about you, but that's been my prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm, we- I'm weary. I'm weary of the heartbreak of this world. I'm weary of what's possibly going to be ahead for, for my wonderful family, my wife and my children in, in this unstable world. It's not, it's not that bad. It's, it's bad, and it might be worse than it's been, but it, it could get a whole lot worse. And so we need to find our hope in Jesus Christ, and we need to walk in His light. And we need to be encouraged in thinking about how He made all things new and how we should celebrate that in our lives as followers of Him. We should be eager for His return. Amen? All right, let's pray, and uh, then we're going to do communion. Um, we're going to pass that out, so everybody just stay seated, right? All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your prophet Isaiah, Lord. Thank you for uh, this time that we can anticipate your coming, Jesus. Uh, 
may we see the, the brokenness of this world and may it bring encouragement to know that we have hope in you, the Lord who fixes, fixes broken things, Lord. You fix our broken lives. You, you reconcile us to you in your perfection, in your holiness, Lord. As we sang this morning, you alone are holy, 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 holy. Uh, forgive us where we fall short, Lord. Be with us now as we take communion. And uh, may, may it all be to your glory, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. All right, if you're here this morning, uh, the way we're doing communion is if you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to take communion with us this morning. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to say a certain, uh, memorize a certain creed or pact or anything like that. If you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then take communion with us this morning. We're going to listen to the song as uh, the uh, deacons pass out the elements.
Thank you, man. As we take communion, there are three things <coughs> that I like to talk about that, that we need to focus on. One is that we should look back and we should look ahead and then we should look within. One, we should look back. By looking back, I mean that we should look back to, the, uh, uh, to when Jesus uh, laid down his life for us. It is, it is a remembrance of what sacrifice he made the sacrifice of the cross we should remember what he accomplished for us in that act that he loved us so much that death on the cross did not deter him from rescuing us something that I, I think is important that we realize that he was in perfect fellowship with his God and Father for all eternity And he gave that up. He was separated in that moment when the sins of the world, my sins, were poured on him. And he was no longer holy and God could no longer look at him and be in fellowship with him. He gave that up. So we should remember what he did to rescue us. So not only that, we should look ahead 1 Corinthians 11.26 says this, For every time you eat the bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. You see, just like we talked about this morning, Jesus came to earth as a baby in a manger, as a suffering servant. But the great news is, that was good news, but the even better news is that he's coming back. And he's not coming back as a baby, he's coming back as a conquering king. So as we take communion, we should know that Jesus is coming again. And he's coming to take us into glory with him. The third thing is this. We need to look within. We are to look within and ask the Holy Spirit to show us any areas of our lives that may not be pleasing to him. Verse 28 says this. Let a person examine himself. 
then, once he has done so, eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So as we take communion, we should repent and humbly confess our sins to our Heavenly Father, the forgiver of our sins. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, Sovereign Lord, as we take communion, we look back to the life that you lived, Jesus, a perfect life, one, a life that we could not live. And then you died that death that we all deserve so that we may have new life in you. We, we remember that, Lord, and we thank you, Jesus, for rescuing us. Lord, we also look forward with anticipation. Come, Lord Jesus. We are excited to live with you for all eternity, to not worry about the things of this world for all worry and shame to be washed away, no more tears, no more pain, no more crying, Lord. We look forward to that, Jesus. We, and then finally, we, as we look within, Lord, I, we, we pray. We pray that you reveal to us right now what it is, what sin is in our lives, Lord. And we want to we confess that right now in this moment. Let's just take a second right now to, Holy Spirit, just search our hearts. If there's something we need to confess to you, Lord, may we do it. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you are the forgiver of sins. We thank you that you loved us enough to send your son for us. Be with us now. As in this time of taking communion, we ask that it is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians says this, and starting in verses 23 uh, through 26, uh, it says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betray- betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Pete, will you pray for us? In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in uh, in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Isaac, will you pray for the cup? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this service this morning, Lord. 
We thank you for the way that you provided and met our needs, Lord. We thank you for the hope and the peace that is found in you, the joy that is found in you. Uh, be with us now as, as we uh, eat, Lord. We thank you for the hands that prepared the food, Lord. We, we pray for the fellowship that's to follow. We, uh, we just pray that this week, that we be your hands and your feet, Lord, and that we be mindful, that we seek you first in front of all the things that this world has to offer, Lord. May we just pause and think about you first in all things. Because it is such a true statement. You alone are holy, Lord. Just as you said, Jesus, in in Revelations, you are the Alpha and the Omega. You are the beginning and the end. May you rule and reign in our lives. May we seek to know you more and more. We ask all this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you're here this morning and you want to pray or or you just want to talk, come on up. And uh, we'd love to pray or talk with you. And and if you're also new this morning, we got plenty of food. Uh, we're going to eat. So stick around and eat. And uh, thanks for coming, everybody. <laughs>